Back in 1991, I received a notification from one of our supporters letting me know that they were having an event called the First New Schools Festival of the Soviet Union. That was in August of 1991. And I thought, well, that's crazy. I mean, I never had anything to do with Russia at that point and so on. But I thought, well, that is what we do. And our organization had just started a year and a half earlier. And I thought, you know, I really should go and make connections with the people there. And so what I'm about to uh, tell you or read to you are the notes that I wrote as a result of that trip in 1991. And I think they're relevant to some of the events that are happening today in Ukraine. The first festival of new schools, Crimea, USSR, August 1991. On August 15, three days before the coup in the USSR, I was a guest at the Russian uh, Supreme Soviet, Boris Yeltsin's White House, celebrating the completion of what may have been the most radical expression of democracy and free speech to that point, the USSR's first New Schools Festival. During my stay in the USSR, I came to realize that the people there have seized upon the ideas of democracy and freedom, perhaps in a way hardly known in the United States anymore. One day after leaving the Soviet Union, I heard about the coup. When I arrived by train in England, as shocked and dismayed as I was, it was impossible for me to believe that the people I had just left would put up such a reversal. The organizers of the festival, August 6 to 13 in the Crimea, were quite aware that their activities might not have the support of the government that long. They knew they were racing against time, with Gorbachev seemingly moving toward the hardliners. While we were there, rumors raced around about whether progressive Russian education minister Edward Neprov was about to be fired and replaced by a conservative. Uto Roll, Netherlands organizer of the educators from outside of the USSR, said, when the logistics were getting difficult, we must support them now and make sure that the conference happens before it's too late. The festival was the most powerful and unusual I've ever attended. We had seven intense days of information exchange, searching discussions of democracy and education, presentations by different alternative school groups, punctuated by singing, dancing, and uh, midnight swims in the Black Sea. On the second day of the festival, I was one of the three keynote speakers. At first, one interpreter had trouble with my American accent, having been trained in English English, but another took over and had no trouble uh, in my speech, I said in part, why did I come to the USSR? I think that this might be one of the most important educational conferences held in the world. Just like the Berlin Wall, the educational establishment in the West is behind a great cell-protecting wall, protecting a system that isn't working anymore. I came here because the world educational revolution must start someplace outside that establishment. That place could be here. 
There was a big response, and for two hours after the talk, Russian alternative educators came up to me to exchange information. Throughout the festival, there was a feeling of urgency, as if seven days would not be long enough to get our work done. I had several conversations with Sasha Adamsky, who edits the education section of Demo Democratic Russia, one of the most important new publications with a run of over 200,000. His section is called Change. But in Russia, it has the double meaning of break. He is the vice president of the Creative Teachers Union, which sponsored the festival, but told us, I have written a letter of resignation because I need to be free of any organization to report objectively. He is also the director of Eureka Free University, which has a comprehensive alternative education teacher training program, something the United States does not have yet. We agreed to a regular fax exchange of the latest information on alternative education in our countries. Tim, a 15-year-old student at the New Humanity Center School, spoke to us in very good English and attended all presentations and videos. He said, I've learned much of my English by listening to Voice of America. In discussing his ideas about alternative education, he said, Here in Russia, we've had 70 years of following orders and not being allowed to express ourselves. It's new to us. It's not easy. Sometimes I get scared when I say what I really feel. It's been programmed into us. Alexander Dubelsky, director of the Experimental School N134 in Moscow, the School of Self-Determination, spoke to the whole group. He said that one change that must be made in the schools is from totalitarianism and authoritarian approaches to democracy in the educational process. He has over a thousand students in his school, several of whom came to the conference. Maxime, a 13-year-old student at Tubelsky School, was very interested in knowing more about American Indians, having read Cooper's The Last of the Mohicans. He was disappointed to find that most Indians no longer lived in the woods, but wanted to know what they were like today. All of this was communicated despite the fact that we hardly spoke each other's language. Early in the conference, a young woman named Elena came up to me and asked me about my religion. I did not tell her right away that I was Jewish. Later she told me that she was Jewish and had guessed that I might be. She's from Kharkov, now they're calling it Kharkiv, in Ukraine, where my grandfather was born. 60,000 Jews have left in the last two years. Most of my family has gone to the United States. They think I'm crazy to stay, but I am deeply committed to the changes here. She told me, that many of the leaders of the alternative education movement here are Jewish, starting with Elena and her friends in a small cafe. A bond was established that went beyond language, beyond philosophy. I was asked to join the Stork Family School from Vinitsa, Ukraine, in performing a political satire based on a Russian folktale. This school was organized when a group of parents were determined that a particularly wonderful teacher be able to continue to teach their children. In order to do this, they formed a private school, almost unheard of, and it might have been the very first one in the former Soviet Union, 
they rented a space, found another teacher to help, and volunteered their own services in the school. This school is democratic, has a strong emphasis on learning with music, movement, drama, and artistic expression. The students from 6 to 14 also speak very good English. In a handout they said, the school is the family where everybody loves children. The Stork School said, I was now part of their family. In the skit, I got a tremendous response when I delivered my last line in newly learned Russian. Albert Lamb, an American who was representing Summerhill School in England, where he now teaches, said, uh, I think we Americans have more in common with the Russians than the Europeans. There's more passion, more openness. I think the Europeans look down their noses at both of us. At the end of the conference, I was privileged to be asked to deliver the English version of the final declaration of the festival, celebrating free teachers and free students in a free society. Let everybody be inspired by the brotherhood created at this festival. It will help us in changing ourselves and the world. After the festival, the Western group was taken back to Moscow. Because of the significance with which the Russian officials viewed the festival, they hastily set up a final ceremony and banquet to be held in Yeltsin's White House, with the possibility that Yeltsin would attend. I met Elena and her friends again when we returned to Moscow. They brought a precious bottle of vodka to give us as a present. Like other things in Russia, the vodka is not expensive but requires standing in long lines. It's the strangest economy. Bread is only 40 kopecks, about a half a cent, but the average monthly salary is only 400 rubles a month, about $12. And cheese wasn't seen in Moscow for about six months. Meanwhile, I had discovered that I could not get my train ticket booked out of the USSR, even though I had an open ticket. The sleeper, they only have sleepers on the international train, had to be reserved separately. It could not be done from the US, London, or even the Crimea. Another indication of the logistical and communications difficulties in the USSR. When I went into the agency in Moscow, they said it was impossible, a favorite Russian word, to get a booking before September. But my unchangeable flight date from England was August 20th. Returning early the next morning to wait in a long line hoping for ca cancellations, there were none. We asked to speak to the supervisor who said it was impossible, and we told him we would call him later from the Russian Supreme Soviet. We went by taxi to the meeting at the Supreme Soviet. A number of speeches were delivered confirming agreements that had been made uh, at the festival concerning Western help and teacher training, regular exchanges of inf information, and creation of new schools. Yeltsin's representative at the meeting was Vladimir Kuznetsov, head of Supreme Soviet's Education Committee. In a surprisingly fiery speech three days before the abortive coup, he said, The Parliament of Russia is very interested in creating alternative education in the Soviet Union. There are old problems with Russian education. The totalitarian regime cannot have free schools. For example, when Hitler came to power, he immediately closed down all Waldorf schools. There is a difficult situation in our country now. I know you like Gorbachev, but Gorbachev now represents a totalitarian approach. 
be open to another point of view. Yeltsin started his new education committee. His first priority was to develop alternative education in Russia. There is now a power struggle between the overall Soviet Union as it is now and Russia and the, Soviet, and the Russian parliament. Russia is going to go from a totalitarian regime to one of freedom in education and freedom in life. After the meeting, a call was made from Yeltsin's office to the railroad superintendent. Suddenly, he had tickets. <laughs> what day do you want to leave, he said. I hope no one was thrown off the train. <laughs> we had to get to them right away. Uh, Kuznetsa provided a car and a driver, and in a short order, we had our tickets, and thanks to Yeltsin's office, our freedom to leave. Before we left the next day, we took a walk down Arbat Street, which is where tourists shop for everything from strings of amber to those famous hand-painted dolls within dolls. The street was crowded with vendors, those new entrepreneurs of the free market. One man came up to me with a string of amber to sell for 150 rubles, about $5. Another vendor got very mad at him because it was undercutting his price and he tried to buy it from him, but my guide, a Bulgarian teacher who had attended the festival, told me to wait, for she understood the Russian. She always made sure I didn't buy anything she thought was overpriced. In the end, I was able to buy the necklace. I also bought one of those famous Russian dolls within dolls, with a series of Russian rulers inside the other, with, with Lenin in, in the middle. But this one was unusual. Yeltsin was on the outside, with Gorbachev inside reflecting a turn of events that was still a week away. On every corner, it seemed there was a speaker with a crowd standing around denouncing Gorbachev. I wondered how long Gorbachev could survive without support, but even then, it was clear to me that they were angry at him for not initiating change, because they felt he was now holding them back. I believe that it was the kind of anger adolescents may have for the parents. That's where the coup leaders made their biggest mistake. They didn't understand that the underlying love the people had for their new freedom, perhaps for the man who made it possible. As I was trying to figure out how I would get to the train, Helen, one of the people who had been helping me at the conference, said that she and her husband, Sasha, would drive us there in, in the old car. Sasha had badly cut his arm at the conference and could only drive with one hand, but insisted on helping us. They even brought food for the train. We got to the station early. Helen stood on line to get some pastries, but they ran out before getting to her. I got some Soviet Pepsi-Cola for two cents a bottle. <laughs> After hugs and fond goodbyes, we left Moscow by train on the 16th. The next morning, we were at the border in Brest, White Russia. Incredibly, they changed the wheels on the entire train at Brest so it can continue on its journey to the west on a different gauge track. They, it is said that Stalin had the gauge of the track widened to keep potential western invaders out. It seems now that the Soviet Union is trying to change the wheels of the whole system. <laughs> For a fleeting moment, when I heard the news of the coup upon arriving in England, I wondered whether the festival had been the last hurrah, a final expression of democracy and freedom in a doomed society. But I couldn't believe that the people I just left would be willing to give up. They didn't. The coup leaders didn't understand the intensity of the people's new love for freedom. 
In a recent phone call from Elena in Kharkov, Ukraine, I was told that Central TV had already aired their first show about the festival and was playing a second. You were very good, she said, and Sasha has already done a story in the newspaper about real alternative education. They asked me to come back in March to do an alternative teacher training session for the Yucca Free University at the Black Sea. How could I refuse? So since that time, of course, a lot of things have changed and some things have stayed the same. A few years later, well, actually during the next two or three years, I went to Russia, to uh, Estonia, to several training sessions that were organized by Eureka. Elena was the key person in organizing them, and that were, those were amazing experiences. But in 1993, I think, uh, she actually emigrated to the United States, and she is now on the Aero Board. Sasha has stayed there and has continued to try to make changes in Russia. And Alexander Tubelsky uh, died about 10 years ago. But his school continues, and uh, pretty much with a similar philosophy, at least as I've, as much as I know lately. And not only that, but there are uh, some radical schools that have were continued to start in Russia. Some of them are based on the idea of the uh, park school concept of Miroslav. As far as I know, they are continuing. But again, I haven't heard anything uh, because since uh, some of the most recent events in that part of the world. Meanwhile, in Ukraine, uh, the schools that we know of, some of them were directly affected by the attack by Russia. Uh, some of the schools in Kiev, uh, there were a whole bunch of them that had gotten started and I, I know one person anyway who had to leave the country because her uh, town was destroyed. But on the other hand, the Stork School is still continuing on for the moment because it's pretty far away from the action. And so this is just a horrible thing that's happened there in Ukraine and we hope that it'll be over soon.